As we begin the, the message, as Stephanie said, I'll be, I'll be speaking on uh, the, the, the idea of, of once we've understood our identity in Christ and we understand the, the responsibilities that he's given to us, the idea of matching up not only the words we say, but the life that we live with those words to bring about a credible message as followers of Jesus Christ. To illustrate this, I want to begin by sharing with you about a man named Dominique Purbin. And uh, he is, uh, at the time, was a government official uh, in the country of France. And in 2004, Dominique made the news. And uh, he was uh, uh, in this government-provided Peugeot 607. And it was clocked by police going 160 kilometers an hour. That's how they, 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 they measure the, the speed in Europe. That would be 99.4 miles per hour, certainly in excess of the speed limit. So it caused quite an uproar in the country. In fact, you can look at the next picture and see that, that even his, uh, his picture there was given with his, his, uh, the speed in which his vehicle was traveling because he wasn't just a government official. He happened to be the minister of justice. And uh, it ca caused quite an uproar when, uh, you know, just, just when you think about this is the man that upholds the law, right? In adding to the irony that the violation happened to take place during National Road Safety Week. Yeah, that just, that, that just really couldn't have, couldn't have happened better for, for Dominique. Uh, in fact, they, uh, the, the local press even came up with a cartoon of, a, of an officer standing next to a, a Peugeot with him uh, leaning out the window. And uh, the, uh, the, 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 the caption is, let us never complain that justice doesn't come fast enough. So uh, yes, the French have a sense of humor as well, I guess. Well, I think we can easily see what the problem is here, can't we? We have a man who represented the law, a man who was charged to uphold the law and yet was caught breaking the law. This morning, as we think about our fall series on the church, we think about the idea of credibility, the idea that, that, our, that our lives are to reflect the message that we share. Again, we've been thinking over the last couple of weeks, the identity that we have in Jesus Christ, who we are, and how that connects, that identity connects to our responsibility as well. I read a quote recently that says, actions prove who someone is. Words just prove who they want to be. And so the idea of words and actions, we learn this even at a young age, that actions speak louder than words. Here's how Jonathan Lehman states it. A message creates a life, and a life displays a message. Does that make sense? You kind of take a look at that, at this, uh, at this graph. It's our next slide. You have a message, you have a belief, you have something that, that you hold on to, and it, and it, and it creates the life that, that you have, and then that life displays that message. And so you see how it goes full circle. That's the idea with the responsibility and the credibility. Let me give an example. Have any of you all ever heard the name Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey, okay. He is like a guru when it comes to financial wisdom. He's an expert on how to manage money, and he's famous for a message on, for his message on debt-free living. So you can see what his message is. 
that he lives debt-free, that he handles handles money with wisdom, that he encourages others to do so. This has created the the life that he lives. In fact, it's also his profession, his occupation. And now we would ask, well, how would he display that? If he is known to be one who is generous and philanthropic, we would say, well, there there it is. There's There's the full circle. He lives what he speaks, what he speaks about. But what if the news broke that that he filed for bankruptcy because of too much debt. We'd say, well, well wait a minute. I mean, what, what good is his book? What good is his radio program? What good is his course if his life doesn't reflect his message? This morning we saw a grandparenting video, didn't we? Excellent, excellent video that, that uh, was put together. And what were they sharing? They were sharing a message. And, and through that message, they were, they were speaking in which how they had been encouraged to display uh, by, by living this life uh, of intentionality uh, for their grandchildren. And so we can take this idea, what is the message that we're seeking to communicate and how it shapes one's life and how one's life then displays the message. Our actions display it. And we could say, really, that our actions give credibility to our message. That's what the next graphic shows. It's really the same graphic, it's just a different word. That, that, the, that the message, when, when, when there is that, that connection between the, the life or the, the actions with the words, that, that it gives credibility. Now, several years ago, there was a U.S. president that famously said, read my lips, Some of you remember this. What did he say? No new taxes. But what happened? (laughs) New taxes, right? And, uh, you know, when when he was up for re-election, he lost. One term, right? Reading my lips, no new taxes. Famous words. And uh, and so uh, uh, that was the first uh, George H.W. Bush that said that. And what's my point? Our, Our actions should display our words. Our actions can give credibility to our words. And I know as soon as we, we think this and we say this, you say, well, well, no one's perfect. Who could do it perfectly? Who? And, it, and it's really not, a, not a, a message today about perfection because we understand our limitations as humans. And we could all give examples of where we've not lived up to our message. But in general, the trajectory of one's life in order to give credibility to the message means that, that, the, that the words should be followed up with actions. Let's take it one step further. A message creates a life, and the life protects the message. See how this just continues to build upon itself. If credibility is lost, what happens to the message? It's gone, right? It's gone. And, and again, fill in the blank on whatever that message is. You know, if it's, if it's uh, like Dave Ramsey, a message of, of uh, financial responsibility, if it's, if it's a message about, about caring for, for, uh, for family or for, for other, other uh, uh, noble pursuits that we might want to, to uh, speak favorably about, we would see that uh, indeed one's life must reflect it. As we think about life in the church, and as we have been over the last couple of weeks. Let me ask you, does, does this same pattern apply to us as a body, as a people, collectively together as a church family? Over the last few weeks, we've considered 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 
says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a a very powerful passage as as we have looked at it together over the last couple of Sundays. We've seen this identity as a people, the possession of God, a royal priesthood. He is the king of kings. He is our great high priest, and we have functions and responsibility because of who we are in Christ. We've been working on this outline over the last couple of weeks as well. The calling as priest kings, as the royal priesthood, that we are called to represent him. We represent Jesus and his gospel message. We work as we witness and expand his kingdom, as we, as we use our gifts, as we serve one another. As we, as we work in this world to, to display the, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. But we also spent a lot of time last Sunday on the third point, that we have to watch over one another, that we have to guard and protect the dwelling place of God. And so, so as we think through these responsibilities, we're going to see this morning, how do we line up these actions with our message. Last week, we saw that we are called to be his ambassadors. Again, what a, what a, a great description of who we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So I just want to pause and, and, and just ask you to look at that verse carefully that there is a beginning point. The beginning point is being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Or as Peter spoke of it by saying, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Both of of, of these, these authors, Peter and Paul, both are saying that there must be a point in which something happens. A decision is made. A belief takes place. The, the, the asking of, of, of Christ for forgiveness, for his mercy, for his grace, it's at that point that when one becomes a follower of Christ that they are brought in to this body, to this nation, to this people. Let's keep reading. Because we've been reconciled, it says, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. That message, that good news message has been given to us to share with others. That's what it says in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. To God. 
Now, last week, we took a lot of time thinking about what it meant to be, what it means to be a representative of Christ. And we, we, we can speak about that, that responsibility that, that has been given to us. But, but I may have surprised some of you all when we spent time talking about the authority that has also been given to us. And so if you, if you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you to go back a couple of weeks and, and, and watch online the two messages that speak of what it means to be a part of the royal priesthood because there are corresponding responsibilities and even authority that we have within the body of Christ. Some have asked, uh, again, for, uh, for me to share some of the resources that I've, that I've used, and I, as I shared in, in week one of, of the series, that Jonathan Lehman is one uh, who has really helped me. I, in fact, I took a class from him this last summer, and uh, I've read some books that he has written, and I'd like to, to, uh, to mention a couple of them. One is called Understanding the Congregation's Authority. And this is, a, this is a short, quick read, one you can order online, and it's, uh, it, it really summarizes uh, and encapsulates a lot of what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. So if you're looking for something that, that can, uh, can put that together in a book form. He also has a longer book called Don't Fire Your Church Members. And uh, again, just thinking about the, the responsibilities and the authority that have been vested within the body of Christ, that, that it's not for the church leaders to take that from them. But instead, we are to, uh, to, to collaborate together as a church family. And so uh, that's the second book. And either one, if you're wanting a short read, uh, go for the, uh, the first one, the one on the left. If you're wanting one that's a little more detailed, uh, you, could, you could pick up the one on the right. Well, here's what he says. Jonathan Lehman says, and speaking about being part of the royal priesthood, he says, this involves representing Christ seeking to expand the reach of Christ's kingdom and guarding the people of God in holiness, which includes watching over both the what of the knowledge of God in the gospel, the what, but also the who of the knowledge of God in the gospel. And that's, that, that was really what we spent most of our time last week thinking about. What is the gospel? What is, the, what, what is contained in the gospel message? We thought about our statement of faith. But it's not just the what of the message, it's also the who. How can we identify those who are following Christ, those who are part of his body? And, and once we've been able to identify each other, what are the responsibilities that we have for one another? See, this is something, this is a piece that I think is missing in the American Christian Church, capital C, today is, is this understanding that not that it doesn't happen, not that it doesn't take place, but in terms of seeing it as a priority in terms of our identity in Christ. And so we did look at the Great Commission last week in Matthew chapter 28, but we also look back at Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 18, and we wrestled with this understanding. What does it mean that we've been given the keys of the kingdom? This idea of authority. So again, I would encourage you to, to work back through those messages if you uh, were not with us the last couple of weeks. But today, I want us to take this understanding of, of how we can display our message. And if our message is the gospel, 
and we together are to do this. Let's look at another version of that same uh, chart that we saw earlier, that same graph. Here's what it looks like. The gospel creates a church, right? I mean, we are here because of the gospel. The gospel message, the, the, the idea of being reconciled to God, the, the gospel means good news, that, that there is good news, that he has rescued us, he has redeemed us, he has given each of us a new life. And because that gospel has created a, 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 a body filled with, with people who have this new life, we see that it's a church. And so we are now united together. Because we are in Christ, together we are a people of his possession. I mean, it's, it's amazing when we really think about who we are in Christ, the identity, this new identity that he has given to us, and how so much of that is seen as part of his body, his church. So as you follow that diagram and you see that, that the gospel has created a church well, then we might ask, well, well, how does a church display the gospel? And you see, oftentimes we think of the church in two ways. There is the church universal, which is all people in the body of Christ everywhere, even throughout the ages, right? That's the, the capital C church. But most of the New Testament descriptions of the church are not the universal church, but rather the local church, that visible local expression, like the church in Corinth or the church in Thessalonica, the church in Galatia, the church in Wildwood, known as the Fellowship of Wildwood. You see, we are a visible expression of the church as a, as a local church, and that's how we put into practice what we see. That's how we give credibility to the message as we live life, as we fulfill the mandates given to us by God. So let me ask you, how then do we as a church display the gospel? Do we have a message of grace? Do we have a message of reconciliation to God? How then do we display that message? What does a grace-filled, redeemed people look like? Because where else is someone going to see that other than the church, right? Now, now thankfully, there are, there are many visible expressions of the church, even throughout our area, but, but we certainly want to understand what our role is so that we can indeed do what this says. We want to see that the, the gospel has created a church, and we want the church to not only display, but to give credibility to the gospel. Do we have a message of forgiveness? We do have a message of forgiveness. How then do we give that message credibility? In fact, the 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 word tells us you've been forgiven. Forgive others, right? I mean, this is, this is an expression, an outgrowth of what we have ourselves experienced. Do you see here the role of the church in upholding the gospel, displaying the gospel, giving credibility to the gospel? And I would, I would, I would 
add to that that it, it really requires a group of people to be able to really put into practice the things that we're reading. Now, it doesn't mean that the church saves people. Jesus saves people. And I, and I believe that someone can be saved and they may not yet be part of a local church. Because if we were to say it otherwise, we'd be speaking more of a works-based gospel. So yes, someone can certainly be saved outside of the church. But it is also, as we have been looking over the last few weeks, it's God's intent to bring them into his family. And when they are in his family, he wants them to be in the local expression of his family. And it's for our own, for our own good that we are, but it's also for his glory. It's the way in which he has designed this. Let's take it to the, to the next level. The gospel creates a church, and what does the church also do? The church protects the gospel. Have you ever thought of it that way? I, I really think that in some ways, over the summer months, we were, we were attempting to, to do some of that. We were, we were thinking, what is the gospel what does the Bible say about a particular matter or a, a particular um, um, belief that we see within our culture today? Because if, if we're not protecting the gospel, what we would do is we would reshape the gospel message to, to acquiesce to the ideas and the thoughts of a changing, a rapidly changing culture. But yet we have said the Bible is timeless truth. And we hold on to that word from generation to generation. It is the foundation. It is the measure upon which everything else then should be seen. It's a, it's a biblical worldview, right? And so, so whose job is that to protect the gospel? It's our job. It's the church. The church is to display the gospel. The church is to give credibility to the gospel. And the church also is to protect or to guard the gospel. Because when the church fails to live its message, the gospel is no longer displayed. It is no longer seen as credible, and it is undermined. But when we as a church, when we live the gospel before one another and before our community, when we as a local expression of the universal church do this faithfully, we have the opportunity to display the good news. We give credibility to the gospel, and we protect it. I like the way Pastor Mark Dever explains the church or describes the church. He says, the church is like the prongs of an engagement ring that holds the diamond of the gospel in place. Does that make sense? Let's look at a picture of an engagement ring. Take a look at that. Think about the diamond being the gospel, but that ring has these prongs that are holding that diamond in place so that it can be displayed. And the analogy is that that's us. We, we aren't the diamond. The, the gospel is the diamond, but it's the church that, that holds it, that protects it, that displays it. Again, 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, plural, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
And it's amazing. When we receive God's mercy, we become a part of God's people. And from that point forward, together as individuals placed in a local, visible church, we have the incredible opportunity and responsibility to display the diamond of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be saying, wait a minute. I thought I was just coming to church today to sing a few songs and, and hear a short message, you know, or a message, maybe not short. I don't know. We'll see. But do you see that together, it's more than that? We don't just come as spectators. I mean, this isn't just a, a Christian conference gathering, right? It's not a, it's not a concert. We, we, we come together, and there's a special responsibility that we have as the gathered, visible church to uphold and to guard, to display this gospel message this message that Christ has, has, has rescued us and that he is wanting to reconcile all people to himself and that, that even the verse that we read earlier says that the message is coming through us, his people. We have a distinct message and we are also to live distinct lives that point to the gospel. Again, the gospel creates a church, and a church displays, gives credibility to, and protects the gospel. And we might say, well, Ryan, how specifically are we to do this? How? How can we display the gospel? Maybe in your mind you're saying something like, tell me more. I need more detail. And I, I just want to say, I appreciate your enthusiasm. That, you, that you're thinking that you want more detail because I'd like for us to think about that together by looking at the words of Jesus from John 13. He's given us specific instructions as he spoke to the disciples on the night before he would go to the cross. He said in verses 34 and 35, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, you've probably heard that verse before. You may have memorized that verse. But I ask you today, let's think together as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, what does it mean to love one another? Because this word love isn't speaking just about a feeling. There's, there's an emotional feeling involved with love. I, I, don't, I don't dispute that. But love is a commitment. It's a sacrificial commitment. And so for us to be Christ followers who, who want to fulfill the calling that he's given to us means that we need to be placed with one another's, right? So that we can fulfill the mandate by Christ, our Lord, to love one another. In fact, he uses the word command. I give you a command. Now, this really is a defense of the message. It's a defense of the gospel because as you, as you look at it, he says, if you do this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Have you ever thought about that verse as being like an apologetic? That if we 
if we love one another, that, that the world around us will see something different about this body by the way we love one another. Who is one another? Is it people out there or people in here? It's people in here. Now, I'm not disputing. Yes, we are to love people out there. You know, the Bible speaks even to, to, to love so much as to love our enemies, right? So, I mean, we know that our love doesn't stop at these doors. But this command is speaking about one another. And who is one another? The people right here. You can, in fact, just look around the room. Here are our one another's. Very special relationship. In fact, a covenant relationship that we have together. Again, we're, we're, we're not spectators. We're not just some, some random group of people that showed up at the same place at the same time as if we're just like on the bus together or something, right? No, I mean, we, we, we are here together as a people. Doesn't mean that we don't love others out there, but that we see our primary affection is for one another in here. As the New Testament unfolds the phrase one another, it's a common expression to describe those out there or in here. Let me ask it that way. What is the one another referencing? All the 59 times that we read about the one another. Is it, who's it speaking to? Those in here, right? 59. In fact, Living Water Academy students, they are considering this every Monday morning in chapel. One of the one another statements. Let me give you not 59 of them. How about we just look at 15 quickly? We just looked at one of them from John 13. We are to love one another. We are also called to be at peace with one another. We are called to be devoted to one another, to accept one another, to admonish one another, to serve one another, and to bear one another's burdens. Now take a look at that first grouping there. This, is this a list of suggestions? Not really. This, this is a list of directives for us of what life is to be like in the body. So, so a minute ago, two minutes ago, when you said, well, pastor, tell me specifically how do we display the gospel in our lives? Right there, right there. When we're doing these things, we are living lives that reflect the gospel, that protect the gospel, that give credibility to the gospel. Let's look at a few more of them. What does it say in Ephesians 4? Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Anybody ever need a word of encouragement? Anybody ever need a word of comfort? Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10. James 5. Confess your sins to one another. Wow, that's a big one. Now, again, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we are called a royal priesthood. 
And together, we, we should help shepherd one another through those strongholds, through those, those, those sins that, that seek to destroy us. If we have another person that's able to walk with us, we are to pray for one another and to be hospitable to one another. That's, that's 15 of the 59, okay? So we just got a good start there. But these are the practical ways that the New Testament has instructed us as the church, as the people of God's possession, as his holy nation. We are to, to put these into practice. Now, all of these can only happen through personal relationships. The one another's can only happen. In fact, in a worship service setting like this one, we're really limited, aren't we? I mean, we can do some of them, but to really fulfill the, the list that we've been reading, it needs to be much more personal. We need to have opportunities beyond the worship service. And that's why as our, as our children get together with kids' ministry opportunities, as they, as they are in, in classes together, they get to know each other, and they get to, to begin uh, uh, putting these things into practice. When they, when they come together as, as M&Ms on a, on, a, on a Wednesday night, they, they get to begin putting some of these things into practice together. Our student ministry, the same way. You know, when they, when they gather, they gather in some large settings, but they also gather into some small group settings. Why? So that they can know one another well enough to stimulate one another on towards good deeds, to, to encourage one another, to, to lift one another up. The same is true with men's ministries and women's ministries. That they, they, these are, 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 are so necessary so that we can build those relationships. But one that I haven't mentioned yet is small groups, small groups and care groups. So at 945, there's going to be a lot of people they get together in, in smaller group settings, and it's in this context that they're able to pray for one another, that they're able to help one another practically, to know one another it, it, in, in, in ways to, in some ways they're on the receiving end, and on some ways they are on the, the serving end, right? Because that's, that's what we see is what God has wanted to put together in his church. It's in these times that we can see how the gospel creates a church and then how our church can display the gospel. And I'm sure that you've been on both sides of this, both in serving and participating in the one another's, but maybe you've been on the side where you were the one another and someone was helping you. I can remember a vivid illustration of this that happened Nearly 20 years ago, our family was going through a, a crisis that we had not ever, ever been through before. We've never been in, in something of this magnitude before. I, I know I've shared with you before, so I won't give all the details, but it was about 20 years ago that we got a phone call very late at night that, uh, that my in-laws had been in a, in a car accident, uh, hit, hit head-on, come to find out later they were hit by a drunk driver. Um, but at the scene, my father-in-law passed away. He, he went on to be, be with the Lord uh, in his, in his mid-50s. 
And it was at that time, you know, we, we went down uh, from, from Kansas City to Arkansas, drove all night. My mother-in-law was in the hospital. She was injured, and uh, we were very worried, obviously, about, about her. And uh, she was in the hospital for several days, recovering from, from, from all of her injuries. And, uh, and so uh, at the time, Karen and I only had one child, but, uh, but Karen's sister and her husband, they had two. And we were all living there in, in the house, staying there uh, while, while, uh, while Karen's mom was in the hospital. And uh, we got the call a little unexpectedly on a Sunday morning that she was being dismissed from the hospital. We thought she was going to be dismissed maybe the next day. And uh, my brother-in-law and I, we looked around and thought, oh, wow, we, we, we got some work to do. I mean, she's coming home, first time to be back in our home since all of this has happened. And, and uh, all these kids have been here and we've been here and we need, we need to really start picking things up and cleaning things up. And, uh, and, and so uh, uh, we, we realized that we wanted it to be a, an environment that was, that was uh, one that she could just walk right into and, uh, and, and receive comfort, not the stress of, of uh, things being out of order. And uh, so we get started, and no sooner than we begin, all of a sudden, all of these cars begin lining up in the driveway and parking in the yard, and these people from her church just started coming right in the door. And now, it's a Sunday morning, so they they were going to be in Sunday school together, but they had heard that Sammy was being dismissed from the hospital, and someone put some pieces together that maybe Ryan and Terry might need a little bit of help over there. And they were right. And it was like an army showed up. And I mean, we're talking about Arkansas Southern Baptist Church 20 years ago. I mean, they had ties on and they had high heels on and dresses on. And I mean, they were sweeping and they were mopping and they were taking pictures and dusting them. And they, I, I remember looking in the bathroom, one of them was scrubbing the, the bathtub in her dress, just, just doing all of this. And it was like a whirlwind of activity for maybe 45 minutes or so. And they all got back in their cars and they were gone. And I looked around, and I was just shocked at what had just happened. And very soon after that, Karen and her sister brought her mom in. And boy, you would have thought that place. I mean, who would have have ever known what had just happened, right? For that place to be ready to receive her at that moment. I I don't know that she even really heard all that had happened as, as, uh, as she was making her way home from the hospital. But you know what it communicated to me? communicated a church in action. It communicated a church that was displaying the one another's, a church that, that understood what the need was, wasn't waiting for someone to tell them what the need was, but understood it and then did it and served and loved and cared. And that's just one example through that whole season of life that we were going through of how God used his church, these local churches, to come alongside us. And I know that even as I share that testimony, I'm sure others could stand today and share a testimony of where the church came and and met them and helped them and assisted them. This is what we mean when we talk about the gospel creating a church and a church displaying the gospel. Church family, let me ask you as I close, is that the kind of church we want to be? I know many of you are saying, that's what I experience already. And I, and I don't argue with that. I know that it is happening. But we want to uphold that picture, that vision, so that it can grow, that it can be strengthened, that it can be prioritized. And so as I wrap up this message, I want to give an invitation. First, that if you are not a part of the body of Christ, meaning you have not received his mercy, today, today could be the day of salvation for you. And when this service is over 
talk with someone. Talk with me. I'll be in the lobby. I'd love to, to share with you what it means so that you can know for sure that you are part of his family. And then second, I would ask you, would you fulfill your calling in his church? Understanding that, that there is a visible local church that God wants each of us to be a part of. What is your calling? What is your next yes to God? What is that next yes? Maybe it's to be a part of a small group. Maybe it's to, to officially place your name here among the fellowship of Wildwood so that we know you are one of us, that you are in covenant with us. In fact, there'll be a membership class on October the 24th. It's going to take place on a Sunday afternoon. We're going to have lunch and move through all of the membership uh, material at, at one time. And uh, if, if you're interested in that, please, please let us know. But what is the next step for you? Because when together we are valuing this, something very powerful happens. And some of that is, is explained here in Ephesians 3. Let's use this as a closing word before we pray together. It says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Just stand with me. Let's pray. And let's ask God to help his glory to be seen through our church. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the body of Christ. We are grateful that you have gathered us together, that we may be a people who display your good news. God, help us as we think through the one another's today. May they not just be words on a page, but may they be words that are alive, words that transform our understanding of, of who we are to be for each other. And in the end, may it be Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who is glorified. For we pray this in his name and all of God's people said, amen.